0: Thank you, church. It really uh, means a lot. Um, kids, you are dismissed. And grades Sevens and Eights, you are also dismissed. And uh, while we do that, we're going to take up the offering as well. So uh, if the, uh, the ushers can battle through the crowds. Wonderful. Praise God. Just before I get started and just to give chance to the ushers to... Uh, to go around, we um, we do have a couple of people that I would like to pray for. Um, as many of you have maybe heard, uh, Teresa uh, this week uh, went into surgery actually on Friday to have her lower leg, her lower left leg uh, amputated just below the knee. Um, this is a culmination of a couple of years of fighting uh, the same infection, and the decision was made. Uh, by the doctors that this would be the best course of action to give us some freedom in in life and those of us who know Teresa and love Teresa uh, she's desperate just to get back to being full of energy and uh, and she's a wonderful uh, member of our church family here so I think it's appropriate that we pray for Teresa we went on Friday and there was a crowd of us around the the bed and we were smiling and laughing and cracking jokes and she was right in the middle of it she said she she said, I'm excited about what this might mean. Just an incredible spirit in her. And I just think it would be wonderful for us to be able to let her know that her church family prayed for her. And uh, also I want to pray for the Delcourt family. Um, Wendy's dad uh, passed away in the early hours on Monday. And um, we prayed last week. That was his wish. That was the family's desire. And that's what we prayed for. And so he's with Jesus, probably saying, what's all the fuss about? Just... You just carry on. It's all good, you know, And uh, but the family are hurting, and uh, we want to pray for the Delcourts. We, we love them very much, and so let's pray for those two families specifically, and then I have a couple of other things as well to share. Father, we, um, we come to you grateful that you call a motley crew of people together, and you are um, happy to put your label of your church, your bride on us. That, Lord, this family that you have pulled together in the South community, we thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, for the love and the care shown. And, uh, and, Lord, we're grateful. Lord, we pray especially for Teresa this morning as she's in hospital recovering from this operation. Father, we pray that she would recover very, very quickly. Um, that, Lord, that she is looking forward to having some new mobility with the prosthetic limb and, and all the different um, parts of the plan that are ahead. God, we just pray your seal, um, your health, your healing on all that. Let it be a remarkable recovery. Father, I pray right now as she's thinking, I know she'd want to be right here with us, but, Lord, I pray that she would have a special sense of your presence in that hospital room. Uh, Lord, we pray for the courts, for Wendy and Grant, Maddie and Hannah. Lord, we, we thank you for them. We thank you, Lord, that uh, they're such a part of our family. They're a blessing to us, Um, and Lord, in this time of hurt and uh, uh, for Diane, Wendy's mum, Lord, we just pray that there would be real comfort in the knowledge of how much Jim loved you, and uh, the hope and the peace that even right to the end that he brought to the family uh, in that knowledge. And so, Father, we just pray that you would be especially close to that family right now, and uh, especially for uh, yesterday being Jim's birthday and God, there just be a real seal of your love. We ask this, Lord, because we know that's your heart, too, and that's your uh, desire. Uh, We ask these things in your good and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to introduce you to uh, a family. I assume they're here. Uh, uh, Matt and Ashley here. There you go. And baby Piper. Is she asleep or awake? Um, Why don't you guys come on up? And um, and Lenny, the two-year-old, just two. I guess she's in, uh, in nursery. Matt and Ashley. I met Matt uh, about 12 years ago, and he was um, leading worship at a camp I was preaching at. And uh, you guys, you, you might as well come up and look embarrassed. It's, it's all good. Um, so... <laughs> So, uh, Matt and I started to meet together regularly and uh, prayed through a lot of stuff and worked together on different things and just really enjoyed good relationship and friendship. And over the years, and then he met the best thing that happened to him, which was Ashley. And, um, and so they, they were married. How long have you been married now? Four years. Four years. And they have two beautiful children. This is Piper and she's very cute. Um, and so Matt and Ashley have actually moved up from Surrey uh, because they feel the call of God on their lives to come to Kelowna and, and help us here at the South, and Matt's just got a job at Big Steel Box, and, uh, and Ashley's on maternity leave. <laughs> yes, there's a bit of a plug. Um, but we're really excited because they're a tremendously gifted couple, but more than that, they're just such a big part of Sarah and our lives, and we're excited to see what God is going to do uh, in them and through them, and uh, She's smiling. That's awesome. And they're beautiful girls. But I think it would just be appropriate for us to pray for them. You're going to see them involved in some ministry, preaching. Matt is a good preacher. No pressure. <laughs> um, and uh, they both lead worship. And, uh, and we're just, we just want to see and explore what God's plan is over the next few months. So uh, I think it would be good for us to pray for you guys. They moved on Thursday. And uh, we went to visit them in their, in their rental um, across the lake there, so we're praying to see how we can get them over on this side of the lake. Um, but uh, yeah, let's, let's pray for this family, and then if you think and see them, introduce yourselves to them, and make them feel warm and welcome, or welcome and warm, or give them a warm welcome, and make them warm, whatever you want to do, hugs, hugs, cuddles, whatever. Um, let's pray quick. Father, we thank you for Matt and Ashley, Lord, and Piper and Lenny. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful family and the call that you have given them. Uh, that they are obediently following and coming to the city. God, for all the practical implications of that and the family changes. God, we pray a special blessing, that Holy Spirit, you would continue to guide them and speak to them, reveal your call to them, what your will is even over the next few weeks and months. Uh, and Father, we just pray that they would find friends quickly, connections quickly, and they would feel part of the South family quickly, Lord. We thank you for them. Lord, may them feel... Truly blessed and at home in this city, in this church, and in our lives, and our hearts. Uh, the Holy Spirit, you'd fill them for the task that is at hand. Praise you, Jesus, in your good and precious name. Amen. 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 See you, Piper. Let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> We're such a charismatic bunch. Most of the time. All right, let's, uh, let's jump in. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. I know some of you have said to me, you know, we weren't going to come to church until we got that email. When we found out that there's a PG-13 certificate on the sermon, I am there. So thank you for those who weren't actually going to come but felt the call of God to come after you heard that my topic was sex. And um, Matthew chapter 5 as well, you can find that. We're going to read two scriptures and we're going to jump in to this wonderful subject. Exodus 20, verse 14, very succinct and clear. You shall not commit adultery. Matthew 5, verse 27 to 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. This is Jesus speaking. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Remember, he's speaking to the disciples primarily there who were all Men and but this is certainly a command for us all. Let's, um, let's just put some things really clear right at the beginning. This is not a subject if this is your first time in the south, or maybe this is just your first time in church for a good few years. Uh, this is not a subject that is often preached about, and yet our culture has got no problem at all preaching about sex every day in their own way. But for whatever reason, the church has done a great job of distancing themselves in a self-righteous way and just looking in judgment at what the culture does, but keeping very quiet about the subject itself. Let me say right at the beginning, we have said over the last four years that Sarah and I have been here, that we are a church where it is okay not to be okay. We are not a church that is perfect. If you came here looking for the perfect church, you just ruined it. Because there is no perfect church, and even if there was, you going there would break it because you're not perfect. We're not perfect. We are all in need of a Savior, and, and we need grace. We've all messed up. We all have our stories. We all have our struggles. And so I need to lay that as a foundation that this is not a... We are not going to, or I am not going to bash you over the head over the next however many minutes because I don't want you to hold me to it if I say whatever time... Um, that we're not just going to layer thick layers of judgment and give a drive-by guilting to everybody and then send you off into the world. That's not my goal. That's not God's heart. That's not God's goal. We all need Jesus and we all have our stuff. And I'm not expecting to say amen, but inside you can go, amen. You know, the culture says this, if it feels so good, it has to be right. Right? You know, well, as I do, that everywhere we go, sex sells. It is preached everywhere we go. Even we just, and I I don't even like saying the word celebrating because to me it's not a celebration, but what just happened on Friday at Halloween. It's just somehow there seems to be this undercurrent of sex wherever you go. The movies are filled with images and suggestions and they are preaching this subject from the angle of our culture. You can look at magazines. I have to keep my head down. I don't like being in shops, period, as you know. Any of you who have been here long enough will know that I try to avoid the mall. But when I do go around to the mall, it's, it's everywhere, whether it be the posters or the images or even just lining up to pay for your groceries, there's magazines. And I actually spent some time, rather embarrassingly, uh, the other day just glancing, just kind of one of these glances. You don't actually want to be seen doing this at the magazines because people will look at you and they think you're weird and then they go, Isn't that the pastor at the Willow Park South? But I was kind of doing the kind of glance over, you know, just looking. I tell you, women's magazines, horrendous, just awful. Let's be honest. I counted on one magazine six references on the first cover. I didn't flick through it. I'm not going that far. But just on the cover, six references to how to have a better sex life, how to have better oral sex, how to do this, how to do that. And I'm like, this is just on the cover of a magazine with little children just walking right past. And we are the prudes if we say that is wrong. Websites, the music, the music. I remember music in Britain, there were certain songs that we used to rush out and buy when we were 12 and 13. When you actually had to go to the shop and buy a single, how many of you remember doing that? Oh, yes. Those days. When you bought a single, but some of them were banned. They, that was the best thing that you could do for an artist. Because then when you rushed out to buy that single, well, they were banned on the radio. Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Relax, was banned. You listen to that song, it's tame compared to what... We readily listen to in our cars on the way to school, many people. Adverts everywhere. You know there's a website called ashleymadison.com. It's a dating site for married people so they can have an affair. Their strap line is this. Life is short, have an affair. They have 20 million subscribers. They are actually... Promoted and sponsored, and have and have adverts. At Super Bowl. Um, there's porn magazine, uh, porn websites that are being advertised in. Um, oh, it's gone right in my mind. There's, uh, there's part of New York, right at the centre. What's it called? Thank you. What's it called? Times Square. So there's actually the large, um, the large lit adverts promoting pornographic websites. We live in a new world when it comes to sexual. Promiscuity, 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 promiscuity? Thank you, Jesus. TV script writer. Don't judge me. You come up here and do this every week. (laughs) I just keep to the simple words. People are new in the church going, you didn't go to seminary. And you'd be right. That's another story. TV script writers. There's this famous TV script writer that said this, quote, Our goal is to get people to laugh at adultery, homosexuality, and incest. If we can get people to laugh at these things, it breaks down their resistance to them. That is on a family show. Katy Perry, the singer, said this, I think when you put sex and spirituality in the same bottle and shake it up, bad things happen. God would disagree, as you will see today. See, the misuse of sex in our culture has created this cynicism and boredom that is destructive on a soul level. And if you disagree, all you need to do is just spend a few minutes examining yourself and you will know that sex is spiritual, not just physical. When I sent this email out this week, I said that probably grades 7 and eights, we wanted to just give you the option of sending your grade 7 and 8 child to uh, something that Quinn, the intern from, uh, from 33, and he's looking after them. And I will guarantee you he's not speaking about this subject. you would be glad to know. Uh, but I said in my email, you know, it would probably be good for grade 9 and above to hear this because they hear it at school. They see it on the way to school. They're listening to it on their iPods. They're surfing it on the net. And as parents, it's important that we have a clear understanding of what the Bible says about sex. Now you're thinking, okay, maybe some of you are thinking, I thought the commandment is do not commit adultery. And what we're doing with all the commandments is that we're seeing that we cannot distance ourselves away from any command. Last week, we looked at the Imago Day, and the command was do not murder. And so I asked the question, why do we not murder? And so, when you peel back the layers, you come back to the imago day. Imago being image, day, God being created in the image of God. You're actually damaging the image of God just by being angry or flippant with somebody. It's not just murder. God created sex. God was not in heaven one day trying to put this whole imago day thing together. He didn't get distracted by the doorbell, go and answer the door, and then come back and find that Satan had snuck in and was like, whoa! Stop that. That is not part of my plan. It was part of his plan. It's the imago day. Sex was part of God's plan. And sex is what this command is referring to. And I want to I show you as we examine this important subject that it's not just about affairs within marriage. It's far from that. See, God has a high view of sex. I've told you there's an order to the commands that are very purposeful. And it's pretty high up on there, this whole idea of how, as a culture, we should be viewing sex. Remember, commands, the commands are there as a design for life for us to be able to live life in the way that God decided and created it for us. And right there, it says, just after murder, which is a, really the first part of this sermon, which is the Imago Day being created in God's image, is right there the second part of Imago Day, which is how we should be careful in how we view sex. See, God created relationships before the fall. Before sin came into the world, there was relationship. He looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for him to be alone. And he created Eve. And they were quite happy. He actually told them to go and be fruitful, multiply. That's that's code in Genesis speak to, you know, you can have sex, go and have children. And it says that they had no shame. And then the fall came and then they were immediately filled with shame. You need to understand that God's plan for us is not for us to be picked. He's not picking out sins so that he's looking for an excuse to send us to hell. God's plan for us is to bring us back to the imago Day, back to the original, back to the way things should be. And that we can live like that today. Now, if you're hearing, is this Pastor Glenn saying that we should be running around unashamed and naked? No, no, no just before you you go there. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we should be able to look at the good gifts that God has given us in a godly way. And can I I say this really clearly and importantly? God has given us many good things that really do not come alive and come to full fruition outside of Imago day. no matter how much you're doing it. Sex is not made better by how many partners you have before marriage. He wants us to enjoy our life And the deepest enjoyment comes from living our life in such a way, in alignment that brings Him glory and therefore us joy. That's His goal, that's His desire. And in Genesis 3, the imago day was broken. And things that were created for our joy and His glory now can kill us. You know, the Bible has some really good things to say about wine actually says in parts of the Bible that we can enjoy wine and wine is a gift to us, but because of the Amargo Day being broken, because of the fall, because of sin, now wine can kill you. Food is a good thing, but gluttony will kill you. You see how the, the, the fall can break a good thing and make it destructive. Work is a good thing. Love of money will kill you. Sex is a good thing. But but the, but lust and adultery adultery will eventually kill you. If not physically through STDs and various other physical problems, certainly spiritually and eternally, the Bible says it will bring you death. There's nothing wrong with physical attraction. As a church, we shouldn't be distancing ourselves from the subject because the reality is no matter how silent the church may be, it's a massive part of our thinking that we are naturally attracted to one another. There's this beautiful time in the, and, you know, we have four kids so we've been able to see this. You know, there's this, this wonderful time where kids just see, you know, like girls are germy and boys are just nasty and they don't want to have anything to do with each other. And then around the grade 7 to 9 mark, things just go completely wild. Hormones start kicking in. You know, boys who just weren't really interested in showering at all, they just, that's all they want to do. They spend hours trying to make their hair look messy in a cool way. They wear their baggy pants around here showing their underwear because apparently that's really attractive. Who knew? Or their pants are so tight that they can't get them on, you know, because they become aware of the opposite sex. And girls who have been always wanting to wear nice things and, and they always seem to smell good and, you know, they have everything together, at least most girls, not all girls, but most girls, they suddenly start noticing the boys and it's a natural part of growing up, this physical attraction. Nobody looks across the room and goes, wow, she's got a great personality. I don't care what you say. It doesn't happen that way. There is an attraction. It's God-given. There's a reason. It's beautiful. It's God's plan, but it's been broken. And our kids are being attacked. Very, very insidious, persistent, subtle attacks. Taxed to their very framework of who they see themselves to be, how they see one another, things that only belong in marriage and now openly accepted at school, talked about. You know, things that were much more in the open, it used to be now a lot more subtle so you have things like um, the, the whole sexting and, and the use of mobile and social media to construct situations they can get involved in. We need to be as parents really clear about our teaching about what is appropriate, not appropriate. But I, I, I do want to say this. Even though the church has been judged as to being too conservative and, and probably ridiculed by our culture, it says in Romans 12, verse 2, that we should have our thinking transformed. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here's my goal this morning. Is I want to see our minds just, just being renewed historically the church has been, stopped. that, put that down, don't even look at that, don't go there, it's nasty, it's evil. Even if you look at some of the church fathers, their view of sex was it was only to have children, nothing else. And it, it, it built this paradigm within church of judgment. Here's my goal this morning. I want to build up such a layer of foundation of the beauty and the sanctity of sex that you do not want to break it. That if we as parents and as young people can see sex as as something that is part of God's plan and beautiful and and sacred, that it will be looked upon and treated with the same uh, careful mindfulness that it really needs to be treated in our our own lives. There's not just glib about it. I want to honour the Amargo Day. I want to I want to treat it with respect and sanctity. So that what we're going to do is we're going to have two main parts. I want to build up a theology of sex, if you like, and then we're going to look at a practical implications of what that theology means. So let's look. Start with theology of sex. Matthew chapter five and verse twenty-seven, and you'll start seeing why I'm attaching this this whole idea of sex to adultery. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, and it works the same way with any, looks at a man with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart or him in her heart. Jesus was not a prude. He hit this thing hard. He showed us that he had respect for it. He showed us that it was important. He showed us that it's powerful. And he does so by referring to the commandment and mentioning this word adultery. So let me tell you what adultery means. Adultery in its deepest, purest sense means sex outside of a covenant. Sex outside of a covenant. Now, so here's what happens. Listen listen to me. No one distances themselves from this command. If you're sat thinking, ah, this has got nothing to do with me because I'm not married yet, suddenly you are pulled into this command because the command is actually saying you can commit adultery before you're married. See, adultery covers all kinds of sexual activity in a marriage as well as out of a marriage. And outside of a marriage, the Bible calls it fornication. Inside a marriage, it's very clear and calls it adultery. But it's all under the same umbrella covered by this command. It's sex outside of a covenant. No one can distance themselves. In a culture that celebrates premarital sex and actually encourages it and sets up websites to to make sure it can happen easily for you. So in a a culture that premarital sex is just open and just you go for it. If it feels good, it's got to be right. And a culture that also promotes adultery within a marriage. Why? Why is it so wrong? That's the question I want to answer. I don't want to just say, hey, it's wrong. Why? Because it is. Well, why is it wrong? Because God said so. Although that should be good enough, by the way. We always kind of want to pick at the why. Well, I think God makes it clear why. So let's, let's jump into this. First of all, the Hebrews, the Hebrew culture, viewed love and sex not so much as a physical act, and it is, but a hugely spiritual and emotional act. It was very, very spiritual. And one of the words, and we have very few words to describe the word love and sex, and that's pretty much it. They had lots of different words, and one of them that was used most prevalently is, is the word dode, D-O-D. Dode, Dod, its, in its most purest form, means the mingling of souls. Think about that for a second. It's where two souls come together in the act of sex and mingle. This is more than a physical act. This is a spiritual act. So Katy Perry's wisdom is immediately thrown out the window. It has to be brought together. It is a spiritual act. It's very much to do with God. This mingling in the souls is, is, is saying this. I belong to you. I give myself to you. Completely, not just physically, but in every way. Now, remember the definition of, of adultery: sex outside of a covenant, outside of marriage. You are giving yourself completely to the other person. You are, the Bible says, becoming one with that other person. So in marriage, when when a man and a woman, both virgins, come together and and have sex for the first time, it's a consummation of a covenant. Not an agreement, but a covenant made before God. It's a sealing spiritually. You're now one. Your souls are mingling. And we've got 12 and 13-year-olds running around giving away sex, saying, I belong to you. We have young adults who are making it, they're feeling like they've failed if they haven't had sex with somebody that week or that night. They're discarding something that is so beautifully spiritual. This becoming of one flesh. And in a very real way, the Bible suggests that when you do have sex with somebody, you are becoming a new person. With that other person, you are becoming One. One person, the mingling of two lives. Not just physically, not just emotionally, and it is, both those things. Not, not just psychologically, and it is, but spiritually. The world is very quick to acknowledge that, that even if they're agnostic, that there is something more than just the physicality of a body, that there's something more to life. And we would agree and say, well, that is what you are giving away You are mingling. It's profoundly symbolic. And deep inside, even somebody who is far away from the idea of Christianity and Jesus knows it. They know that it's profound. How do they know? There's that constant sense of lack of fulfillment. There's always one more person. There's always one more person to get with. There's, there's this drive that is spiritually driven. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 that we all have eternity in our hearts. We all have this fingerprint, this imago day, and, and it's evidence of the clue of God that there's this drive. Now, for anybody to say, oh, it's just in order to, uh, uh, just to procreate, knows deep down inside it's so much more than just that. It's a deeply symbolic and spiritual event so when it says do not commit adultery what the command is actually saying is do not have sex outside of covenant do not have sex outside of covenant you cannot separate yourself from sexual activity you are giving yourself completely you are becoming vulnerable in a way that you can't do outside of the act of sex Young people, single people in the room, please let this land. When you are playing around with the idea of possibly wanting to have sex, or or seeking to have sex, or any of the acts associated with sex, we'll come to that in a minute. Then what you are actually playing around with is your soul. You're, you're playing around. You are offering out. You are uh, being flippant towards the idea of the very core of who you are. You're saying, I belong to you. So sex outside of a covenant is, is thin and it's, it's just, there's, there's no substance to it. There's, there's no regard to it, given mentally and yet spiritually, there's a huge substance of regard. And that is why... It needs to be within the realm of a covenant relationship. That is why it needs to be kept to marriage. Because marriage represents all the other ways that you belong to one another. You submit to one another. You're part of one another's lives. You are now one person. And so marriage seals that. Uh, Sorry, sex seals that. To give that away. Perhaps one of the most profound decisions that you can make. So you could hear this and go, oh, that's that's fine. I've not got a problem with that, Glenn. Because I'm not actually having intercourse. So the definition of dode and the mingling of souls, if it's like I'm saying I belong to you, suddenly makes the definition of sex far wider than just intercourse. What it's actually saying is any act at all where you are willingly giving yourself to that other person in an intimate and vulnerable way is now under the same umbrella of adultery. To make it very simple, anything that belongs in a marriage needs to stay in a marriage, otherwise, you are soul mingling. You're giving yourself, you're becoming vulnerable. And deep down inside, you know it. Young people know it, they're giving themselves. Yeah, but I'm not having intercourse, I'm just having oral sex. Well, you're giving yourself. You're having a level of intimacy and vulnerability that only belongs within marriage, and you are soul mingling. So, if you're having sex outside of this covenant, then you are actually damaging your soul. It breaks so many commandments. If you list the Ten Commandments, you can tick off so many of them. Certainly the first commandment of putting God first because people are lusting after sex and making it their God. Then you can go to the next commandment. You've got, you've got, you've got stealing somebody else's wife or partner. If you're in adultery, you've got uh, being deceitful. Um, you, have, you have the adultery. You have covetousness. You have all these commands that single-handedly in one action you can break and it empties the soul of significance it empties that soul. it damages you and we know that to be the case because we can observe it and many of us have felt it it leaves the soul empty covers all aspects of immorality Whether you're in a marriage or outside of marriage, it covers all aspects of immorality. So you can can put in pornography there. You can put in any kind of sex trade or or any of the clubs. Um, You can put in all sorts of different immorality that that the Bible refers to. This command covers it. It's the soul mingling. And on top of all that, if you're in a covenant relationship, if you're married... And in within that marriage, there's a temptation and the following through to actually have an adulterous affair. The destruction that follows, not only internally, but outside. that The external chaos is profound. You look at David and Bathsheba. David looked across and saw a beautiful woman bathing. And, and made and constructed this scenario that he could basically take her to bed. And then constructed a scenario to get rid of the husband. And you go, whoa, whoa, I'm not going to go and kill anybody. But the adulterous affair actually resulted in this, this ongoing. You, you can see David is different after it. He's damaged himself. He's damaged the covenant relationship. He's, it's, it's this soul pain. So to sum up, sex is a pure Godly, sacred part of a Margo day that God has given to us and says, Look, when you give this, this is the most precious thing that you can give. Treat it well. Treat it well. Don't we'll throw this thing around. So, what is the practical implications of Doad? What's the practical implication of all that, that I've said about um, the soul mingling? Jesus uses some pretty violent language in Matthew 18 about how he says that we should really treat ourselves if we're finding ourselves in temptation. He, he really, he, he, goes, he goes all out and he says, look, if you find that your eye is wandering, then you need to gouge out your eye, it's better that than go to hell. It's like, whoa, okay, this is pretty, this is pretty out there. He says, if you find that your hand is causing you to sin, then, then you, need to, you need to get rid of your hand, otherwise it's better to go into heaven without a hand than it is to go to hell with a hand. This is really harsh language. Jesus' point here is not so much literal as much as it is, look, it, you, you, this is going to be hard work. You're going to feel like you're going to miss part of who you are. You're going you're to have to cut things off. You're going to have to stop things. You're going to you're gonna have to change your mindset and it's going to be hard work. But it's better that hard work than the other hard work and the external Chaos that adulterous affairs and premarital sex than can create. It's better hard work this side of marriage. It's better this side of the affair than the other side of the affair. See, chasing after ungodly relationships pre-marriage or in marriage. Listen to this, please. Chasing after ungodly, out-of-covenant relationships Sexual relationships or relationships that are ungodly destroys internally you, externally others. Families destroyed. Now, it's really harsh language, Glenn. Well, sit down with a kid. Sit down with a kid who's experienced the mum and dad going through that. And you'll say, you'll see that there is a destruction that's happened in their life. Because it is profoundly powerful. Not only that, but the long-term implications of the child experiencing that. The statistics are weighted against them. The evidence, the research is weighted against them. The likelihood of them doing exactly the same thing ranks really high. The trajectory of that is, is huge. Lives broken. Trust broken. Ungodly relationship destroys trust. Future marriages... Future marriages of the children that are involved. So, how do we how do we safeguard ourselves? I've presented the importance of sex. I've said to you, this is why it is important, this is why it is sacred, this is why we need to be careful in, in our conduct. So now let's get into the kind of nitty-gritty. What does it look like for every person in this room, from whether you're in grade nine or whether you've been married 50-some years? What does it actually look like for us all to hold sacred the first thing i would say point a is we need to avoid adultery training avoid adultery training young people single people this is specifically for you do not live life now in such a way where it's giving you good training for having adulterous relationships later Do not live life now going from one partner to another partner or even if you're not having sex, from dating to dating to dating. Do not be deceitful in those relationships because if you are deceitful now, you will be deceitful in your marriage. If you get used to the idea of using deceit, if you get used to the idea of having sex, if you get used to the idea of being promiscuous or going from one partner to another and, and just dating lots and lots and lots, then you'll get used to that idea so much so that when you get into marriage, it'll actually amp up. It won't decrease, it'll increase. So now you have this beautiful opportunity to live life in such a way that is godly and, and, and mindful of God so that you're not actually training yourself for the future in any other way but in godliness. That you're actually disciplining yourself now and that discipline will bear fruit for you in your marriage. So your no now will produce a stronger yes in the future. That your, your goal and your desire to keep things sacred now will actually safeguard you in the future. I think it is safe to say that the more that there is promiscuous, just persistent seeking relationships and giving oneself to other people within those relationships in a dode way, it will be harder and harder for you to truly belong to somebody one day. You won't be able to trust them because you will see them in the same way that you see yourself oftentimes. So you're holding dode with, with an open hand and just really just not treating it with the sacredness that it truly should be treated Will, will make it harder for you to belong to somebody. So when you actually do stand in front of that altar and somebody like me marries you in a covenant marriage, the foundation of that marriage is already broken. There is hope, though. There is hope. Because God makes it very clear in the Scriptures that He is able to restore the Imago day. That through Jesus Christ, that even the most wicked of lives, even the most promiscuous of lives, can be restored back to the Imago Day. The Bible uses the word reconcile. That you can be reconciled back to the way that it should be. That you can walk down the aisle as a virgin, spiritually speaking, if not physically. There is hope in Jesus Christ. You do not have to continue in the way that it has been in the past because in Christ he offers freedom and forgiveness and joy within the whole sexual realm and says this is a gift that you will really enjoy in your marriage. It will bring great glory to God and it will be the most joyful within that covenant relationship. And even if you have failed as a single person, let me tell you, honestly, there is hope. In Jesus Christ, that you can have, it says that your heart can be white clean, that you don't have to live in shame and guilt. Christian young people, set your standards high. I've said this before from this pulpit, I'll say it again. I do not really, I'm not that interested in my children, all four of them, 20, 18, 15, and 9, two girls, two boys. I don't want them to marry just a Christian young man or young woman. I'll say it again, I do not want them to marry just a Christian young man or young woman because I know that the label Christian does not mean anything. That there are Christians quite happily sleeping around. There are Christians quite happily trying to convince their boyfriend or girlfriend that it's okay. I want them to marry a godly young man or young woman. I want them to marry somebody who loves Jesus more than them. And is willing to say, no, we're not going there because I want to hold this sacred for marriage. Those are the kind of young people and and friends, let's, let's train our kids to be that way. That they would set their standards so high that they wouldn't even conceive of the idea of entering into a relationship that ultimately will lead to destruction. It's the most important decision you will ever make outside of coming to know Jesus. And I wish, and I have preached about this in the past, about the whole idea of what dating looks like. Very, very briefly, if you wanted to know, parents, here's some advice in in terms of some of the research and some of the experiences Sarah and I have had with our children. When is a good time for a kid to start dating? Well, should it be 16? Because 16 just seems like a good number. End of high school? Well, that seems like a good number. Let 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 me pull back from that and set it as a value. You are ready to date when you don't need to. When you don't need the other person to fulfill a want or something you have in your life that Jesus is not fulfilling for you right now. When two broken people come together, it doesn't make a whole. So somebody is ready to date when they're holding dating in such a way where they're saying, I don't need this to fulfill something that I'm lacking. I'm ready to date when I find my own identity in Christ. So when you've got one strong person, another strong person coming together with their needs and challenges, yes. When that comes together, then there's strength. Then you're ready. So if there's this desperation to date, it's actually a, a sign that they're not ready. They're not ready emotionally, spiritually. Okay, let's do these a little bit quicker. Secondly... Married people, fight for your marriage. How do you avoid adultery? Fight for your marriage and you do have to fight. Fight for your relationship. Date your husband or wife. Set it as a standard. Set it as a priority. Get the babysitter, whatever it might look like. Spend time with one another. Foster that relationship. Sarah and I have been married 21 years. Fostering that relationship is as important now as it was before we were married. It doesn't stop. It increases. You have to. Fight for your marriage. Hold one another accountable. Push one another towards Jesus. The most loving thing that Sarah can do for me is encourage me in my relationship with Christ because that is going to actually reflect in the rest of the marriage and reflect in the family. Fight godly. Fight for your husband or wife. Whether they're a Christian or not, fight for them spiritually. Leave all the details to God, but pray for them. Spend time with them. You don't just fall accidentally into adultery. It doesn't happen. It's a slow and steady process. Thirdly, therefore, you have to guard your heart. Before out of covenant sex happens, it begins in the heart. This is why Jesus referred to it in Matthew 5, that it's a heart issue. It starts with the heart. You need to strive to keep the first three commandments, putting God first, not using his name in vain, taking a Sabbath, imagining and thinking about God in the right way. Keep those as your priorities and then you won't accidentally fall into an adulterous relationship, whether it be through a TV screen or a website or an actual physical person. You're not going to want to go anywhere near there if you're keeping those three commandments or those four commandments even and soul rest with the Sabbath in line. So fight for your heart. Guard your heart. Focus on him and make him priority. Fourthly, covenant with your eyes. Covenant with your eyes. From the heart, adultery adultery moves to the eyes. Then to the hands. It goes from the heart to the eyes to the hands. Starts in the heart and then it starts showing itself in what you're looking at. Who you're observing. Who you're considering. Who you're giving a second glance to what steps you are making in your heart towards the person or towards the issue or towards the website. It starts there. So it happens in the eyes. So what you look at, what you watch. I've heard Christian, young men especially, tell me, hey, pastor, I'm just enjoying creation. (laughs) Well, you're not coming anywhere near my creations. So what's the difference? I mean, Martin Luther said this. He says, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. Martin Luther, circa the Reformation. He's right. You know, you walk through the mall, you've got to be careful what you look at. Guys especially, because we're switched visually. You have to be careful what you look at. So is it a sin to see something? No, but it's a sin to stop and, and start thinking and considering and making plans or observing in a way that you know is lustful and away from God. And it goes exactly the same with women. I'm actually quite surprised how openly keen, especially in Kelowna, it seems, ladies are to try and initiate conversations that you know aren't just pleasantries in the day. So it's not just a guy thing, although guys are switched visually more than women, but we both have, both sexes have issues. We need to be careful with what we see. But then once we've seen that one step, remember the prodigal son? It starts with one step away from the father, then another, then another. You didn't go from the dad to the pig pit in one big leap. It's a gradual drift, one step at a time. It's a, oh, she's cute. Observe and look. Then it's initiate a conversation, maybe a flirt, maybe texting, maybe Facebook, whatever that might look like. In or outside a marriage, there are steps. Guard your heart. Guard your eyes. Covenant with your eyes. It is hard work, which is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, it's hard. I read this this week. I thought this was helpful. Lust is generic to all women or men. You just have a general lust problem to all. Everybody of the opposite sex. Love is anchored into one person. So you may have a lust issue. You need to bring that to God. You need to guard your heart. You need to covenant your eyes. Can I say sometimes the groups that we construct for people to go and join to try and help them with their issues when it comes to sexuality can often be more damaging than not going to the group. Because the central false god in there is to talk about the issue all the time. Highlighting the issue in the heart. And that creates problems. Can I say the greatest cure to sexual temptation is burying yourself in the word of God, burying yourself in the worship of Jesus, observing the cross, thinking about what he did. You are not going to be able to look at the cross in a worshipful, prioritizing way and look at somebody else in a lustful way. This is heavy stuff, but it's important. Part of the reason that I am so passionate about this. He says, as a pastor, time and time again over the last twenty-some years, I've been involved in situations where if we could get this right, the situation would be avoided. It is so vital, so important. Next one is remember Amargo Day. Very quickly, it says in First Timothy five that we're to treat other women and men like sisters and brothers. That's a very helpful thing that if you actually see somebody in the Imago day then you can love them like a brother and love them like a sister in a very Christian and Godlike way and there it ends. So you're looking at the opposite sex in a brother sisterly way rather than an oh is this a potential way. Again it works inside or outside of marriage. Next, be aware of the line. Know yourself. Have safeguards. Ladies What are you going to do when you get approached? What are you going to do when? Have a plan. What are you going to do when this area that you know that you struggle with comes up? And it will because Satan is crafty and he'll make sure of it. Men, what are you going to do when? Know your line. Know your boundaries. Know what you can and can't do. And it's a very gray area because for some people, I often had young people saying, well, how far is too far when you're dating? Well, for some of you, you can't hold hands. Because for a young person dating, this whole hand is one of the most erotic things that they can actually get their head around at the moment because of what it leads to. So it's, it's knowing your own boundaries. It's knowing what actually initiates and creates the heart shift, the eyes moving, and the moving towards what ultimately will result in adultery. Just as a, another comment I read this week, and I thought it was very wise the more responsibility you have, the more on guard and on careful you have to be. As a pastor, I have to be unbelievably careful. Ladies, I'm not going to give you a ride somewhere. I'm not going to get in the car and give you a ride somewhere. I can't do that. Is that because I don't trust myself? No. But it's because I have to set a boundary on the ministry and be very careful what it optically looks like. I need to live life on a higher grade, so that not only do people observe what is right, but I know that I'm being safeguarded. That if any accusation came against me, I know that Sarah knows exactly where I am at any time of the day. You can ask her. That's why she looks after my schedule. You have to guard yourself. The higher responsibility you have, responsibility, community group leaders, Satan will seek you out, and he will seek to pull you down and if this is an area of weakness for you, then you need to be on guard. And I would include responsibility as mums and dads. Any kind of responsibility at all. Am I demeaning like if you do not have like large kind of community responsibility, you don't have to worry, not at all. I'm just saying, and I saw nods, those of you involved in ministry, you'll understand what I mean. Especially if you are seeking to be a minister of the gospel, you guard yourself. You guard yourself. Next one, I'm coming to an end now. Live in reverse. What do I mean by that? Just in your heart and in your spirit and in your mind, single, married, young person, visualize the type of person you want to be. If you're a Christian, I'm going to guess that that, vision of yourself is actually in line with the Imago Day. Nobody visualizes themselves as a deceitful adulterer. Nobody visualizes and dreams of the day that they can be deceitful and just be, you know, not really care about people or be unloving. Nobody dreams about being a bad parent. Nobody dreams about having their kids or their grandkids look at you, with, you know, with, with kind of looks of, wow, I can't believe you did that. Nobody dreams about that. We all We all desire good, godly things if you're a Christian. Live life in reverse. Make decisions now that are going to build towards that, not away from it. Live life in reverse. What do you want for your future? What do you want for your kid's future? Make a decision now for then. And finally, live convicted but not guilty. All that I share with you, all these points, I wish I put numbers on now because I don't want to count, eight, all these eight points are absolutely 100% impossible for you to do from sheer will. You cannot make a decision in and of your own strength to fulfill any of those because we're living in a broken world. All that that list does is give you a list of shame and guilt to feel bad about when you break one of them or when you find it hard with one of them. You will fail. Am I talking about failure in the sense of that you will have an adulterous affair? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that it's impossible to avoid sex before marriage. I'm not saying that. But if you peel away the layers as to what Jesus actually says this commandment means, which is even if you look, With lust in your heart. He's not saying if you look. But if you look with lust in your heart. Or if you look with a plan in your mind. You you can't avoid that. You can't by yourself. In your own strength. You'll fail. The only way for you to work hard. As Jesus says. To fulfill this commandment. Is to start with conviction. Because conviction is a good thing. Better than guilt and shame. But conviction leads us to Jesus and conviction brings us to our knees and conviction brings us to seek forgiveness and conviction brings us to a point where we seek help, professional, spiritual, godly help. Conviction brings us to a point where we recognize that we can't fix ourselves. Conviction brings us to a point where we see that the answer isn't in here. Conviction brings us to Jesus. the person who is able to forgive, the person who is able to empower. That's why I say almost every week, fix your eyes upon Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. The answer is in him. If you want to fulfill these eight points, the answer is Jesus. You don't need a self-help book. The answer is Jesus. You fix your eyes upon him. Those of you who don't know him yet, fix your eyes on him. Think about what he is calling you towards. There lies your answer. Because Jesus went to the cross for adulterers in every sense of the word. Fornicators, deceivers. He took the penalty of sin and death that is attributed that our sin, every one of us knows, draws us away and ultimately to death. And Jesus took that death and it died with him on the cross. And he restores, friends, this is good news. He restores the Imago Day. Those of you who are feeling shame-filled, those of you who are feeling guilty because of decisions you've made in the past, those of you who are struggling with temptation and and failing at temptation, then he restores you back and reconciles you back to the original plan, which doesn't include all that, that you can feel free, you can feel forgiven, you can feel accepted, you can feel clean. All through Jesus. Jesus does not care about being aligned with what would have been then looked upon as the lowest parts of society. You look at his own genealogy in Matthew 1, you will see prostitutes, you will see adulterers, you will see people who were involved in incestuous affairs. All in his own genealogy. Because God loves to restore people. He loves to take broken people and restore them back to the image that he created you to be all through Jesus. You cannot do it by yourself. We're all in need of grace. I started with that and I finished with that. We all need grace. And Jameson in a second is going to lead us through some of the communion. This symbol of grace. We have hard work to do, friends. Today you will get tempted to look Today, you will be tempted to observe and think because that's part of being life. But today, you can be empowered by a power that is far above your own self-will found in Jesus. You can leave this place empowered, forgiven and ready for change. We can leave this place as parents ready to advise our children and live life as an example to our children. We can do that. Young people, you can leave this place being secure in the calling that God has made you and given to you to say, live this life as tough as it is, but live it for the future that I'm giving you. Live it for the godliness that is yours to grab hold of. And it all starts at the cross. It all starts with Jesus. He loved you so much, just as you are, and still died for you. So here's my prayer and and blessing as I finish and... and, uh, I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to just think about these words in my prayer for us all. May you place Jesus first in your life and thereby safeguard your heart. May you see other people as precious and worthy of respect because that is how God sees you. May you see sex as sacred and precious. And be willing to keep it as the gift God intended. May you keep sex safeguarded within the covenant relationship. God has planned for you now and in the future. And may you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Who is the author and finisher of your faith. Dear Lord I pray. As we approach this subject and we see it as sacred. Lord, I pray that every person in this room will be filled with a sense of hope. That those things that we find the hardest to fulfill, that Lord, you empower us because of what you were willing to do on the cross. And as we hear the words of Jameson in a second, Lord, and as he leads us in communion, Lord, I pray that the reality of your love and the reality of your forgiveness and the reality of what you were willing to do when we were so undeserving of it. But Lord, that would just wash over us. And we'll be reminded again as we examine ourselves. Lord, for those who need to break out a cycle, break out of a cycle of sin, Lord, I pray that there will be conviction. Holy Spirit, you would draw them to yourself. Draw them to the cross. God, I thank you that you are merciful and you are kind and you are patient. And even the most broken among us can find find wholeness and healing in you. Thank you, Jesus.